Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad that you're here, gathered with us in this room. And then also for those of you that are gathering online, let me say again, we, we miss you. We miss connecting with you, seeing you. And so I want to encourage again each one of you to reach out to those that you miss. You know, the body of Christ is truly a body. We don't survive alone. We don't survive disconnected from others. We don't survive disconnected from God. We don't survive disconnected from his word. We certainly don't survive when we're not connected to the body of Christ. And in this season, we're going to be adding new services as we move into September we're going to start changing kind of some of the service times. We'll talk about that. Nothing's certain at this point, but we'll be doing that as we move into September. Because here's what I've heard is I've called a few people. You guys are so gracious, so kind, sacrificing. You say, hey, the reason I'm not coming at 9 o'clock is I want room for someone else. Well, we want to make room for you. So we want to make sure that you're here in a part of the service gathering with us and in uh, intentional worship. And so please uh, continue to follow with us. Also, I want to mention on September 13th, we're going to have a congregational meeting. It's going to take place outside in the parking lot at 11 o'clock. The reason we're doing this is normally we would have a budgeting process that would end, I think it's in May, something like that. We'd We'd vote on the budget and all that. We didn't have a chance to do that. And so we're going to be doing that in September. We're going to be voting for our elders, our leaders, also our budget. And you should have gotten that by email this week. If you didn't, it's a good opportunity to go to Melissa over at the Connect Center or send us an email and say, hey, I didn't get that. I'd like to see the budget. I'd like to be a part of that. Please let us know. You can also today pick that up as you're heading out. For those of you that don't have an email, but we did have your address, we actually snail mailed it to you. So maybe in three weeks, it'll get there to you. I hear things are running behind, but anyways, hopefully it's going to get to you quicker than that. Um, But... We want you to be connected to what's, to what's going on. Hey, if you grab a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, yeah, kind of chapter 2. Chapter 1 and 2. We're looking at some, some major themes in the book of 1 Peter. And I'll tell you why. As, as I was meditating and praying over the last couple months, it was the book of 1 Peter that the Lord kept bringing to mind over and over again, when I found myself discouraged, my mind went to First Peter. When I found myself frustrated and angry at things that I was seeing and, and just a discontent, it was the book of First Peter that kept coming to mind because really this is a book that covers a wide variety of themes. If you're a new believer, it's one of the best books to jump into. Unfortunately, within our own context in the West, it's often one of the least read books, and I'll tell you why, because it deals with suffering. But the majority of the world, Christians are suffering due to their identity with Christ. And in the West, and it's a great thing that we have freedoms, liberties, and yet this book is often ignored because it's dealing with the persecution of Christians. And how do we engage a world that hates us, that hates the message of the gospel? And Peter is describing and speaking to Christians that are dealing with death. They're dealing with the loss of family, the loss of income. They're dealing with shame and people slandering them simply because they hold to the name of Christ. And instead of returning slander for slander and hatred for hatred, instead of arguing with their voice, they lived a life that was beautiful to God, that reflected the character of God. 
They held out an offensive message, which is the gospel, but they lived a beautiful life. And I think in this season, we have to press deeper into that reality that sometimes we have to set our rights aside and we have to start reflecting the kingdom. And what I want to talk today about is our identity in Christ. When you move out into the world, you're moving out, in a, and you may not realize it, in an identity. You see yourself as who you are. You move out into the world with a certain understanding of how you engage. Well, last week we looked at the new birth. The new birth results in, in a new identity, that we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price, and therefore we belong to God. We belong to his kingdom. We move out into the world as ambassadors for Christ. And as Peter's going to describe as exiles, living in a country that is our own, and yet relating to the country in which we live as sojourners, as immigrants, as exiles, in a country that we feel comfortable with, that we love, that we identify with. And yet, because we are in Christ, the country we live in is not our own. It's not our primary identity. Jesus was very political because his message is Jesus is Lord. There is one allegiance, one person we bow to. And when we look at the way we engage in the world, we have to say, am I moving into the world through the lens of the kingdom of God or am I simply comfortable where I live? Because there was not anyone that put their faith in Jesus that simply felt comfortable with where they lived. Jesus doesn't fit in a political system. He doesn't fit in a sovereign nation. There is not a nation, there is not a people that perfectly represented Christ because a nation can't usher in the kingdom of God. Only the church can. And we as Christians, we don't disdain where we live. We love where we live. We protect where we live. We love the values that we have. And yet we don't lead with them. We lead with the kingdom with his values, with the Sermon on the Mount. Because what got Jesus crucified wasn't that he was telling people to have quiet times. It wasn't because he was simply offering a better way to live. Jesus was disrupting the power structures of religion, the power structures of the elite, and he was bringing in a message of grace and truth that changed the world. It brought about a new birth, and out of the new birth comes a new identity. And so today... Let's look at that new identity. And it's challenging. This is a challenging idea for us because we so identify with our families, with our nations, with with the way we move into the world that we miss how that identity sometimes rubs with who we are in Christ. So let's jump into it. First Peter, we're going to look at in verses 1 and 2, start off there of chapter 1. And Peter introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And notice the language, to those who are elect, elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Basically, all those words together mean Turkey. So he's describing the region of modern-day Turkey. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for what? Obedience to your Lord, Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is the introduction. Now jump to chapter 2. Because we discussed last week that chapter 1 really describes what God has done for us. Chapter 2 starts to describe the new identity we have as the people of God. 
And so jump down to chapter 2. We're going to start it off in verse 9. And here's the language that he uses that comes directly from the Old Testament, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, and notice the language, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Another way to describe that destroys the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, that, they, that they may, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that, uh, that your word, as it is, is living and active, and may it be living and active to us in this moment. May we set aside the frustrations that we bring in, the confusion. Holy Spirit, would you, as you did in the beginning, through, through the voice of the Father, Father, you speak, and it's the Spirit in us that, in, that awakes us up to see who you are. And Father, we, we respond to that with worship, but also repentance and faith, turning to you, trusting that your word is true. Guide us in all truth, we ask in Jesus' name. So again, if you jump back to chapter one, he describes us as exiles. Now, realize Peter is speaking to people who were exiled. What does that mean? They're no longer in their, the country of their origin. They're living in a diaspora. They're spread throughout the world. And yet what happened is they heard the gospel. And in hearing the gospel, they truly became exiles. They were exiles already physically in terms of their cultural language, where they were. They were living in a foreign land, a land that was not their own. And yet when Christ came into their life, they realized this world is not my home. That there are desires within me that this world cannot fulfill. And when somebody dies, it's not simply that we think something natural has happened. And when someone dies, we feel like something wrong has happened. Something's been taken from us because this world is not our home. We were created for God's presence. And when God's presence was removed from the world, there was a disconnection between us and God and also between us and creation. We are exiles. What does that mean? You can think of it this way. We are resident aliens. If you've ever known a resident alien, a resident alien is not a tourist. They're here on a passport. They may be here on a visa. They may be here with a green card. Some of them work. Some of their kids go to our schools. They're engaged within the culture. They pay taxes. They may buy houses. They have friends and family. They have friend, friends and neighbors that are a part of the culture. And they integrate into the culture. And yet, because they're a resident alien, the country they live in is not their own. They may have different customs. They definitely have different foods. They celebrate different holidays. I remember I had some friends um, on our street when I grew up. They were immigrants from India. And as a young child, not understanding cultures or anything, I just remember walking to the house and thinking, man, this house smells weird. Because they had different spices, now, I, I didn't understand cultures, and, and here's what they would do. They would often sit on the floor, and they would eat together on the floor, and they would use their hands, and they would use bread as utensils. And I remember as a young person just thinking, this is strange. 
this is different, and yet they went to my school, and yet they worked in our community, and they played on the same soccer teams and all those kinds of things, and yet they were living according to the customs of their homeland, and they were integrated into the country in which we live. That's how Peter describes Christians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, you are citizens of heaven. Now, certainly we're citizens of the United States, but when you're born again, your citizenship changes. And what's primary is you now belong to God. And so when you engage, you have to now relearn. How do I engage in my own country? How do I engage the laws of my country? How do I value what I value? I don't value it simply just as an American, but as one who has been born again into the kingdom, not disdaining the country I live in, loving it, serving it, respecting it, seeking its best, and yet always doing it in a way that reflects Jesus Christ and God's kingdom, because that's eternal. This is temporal. The kingdom of God is eternal. And in this world, we engage as exiles, as sojourners. Sometimes the scripture uses the word as immigrants, living according to the values of the kingdom that will come in the kingdom that is here because of the new birth and Christ dwelling in us. This is the new identity that we have. Now, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to pick up another theme. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is speaking to those that are living in Corinth, and he describes our identity, and he describes what happened when the new birth, he's going to call it the new creation, comes in. As soon as you are born again, there is a transfer, a new identity, a new life, a new way of seeing yourself in the world. Watch this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Notice he says, From now on, because we are in Christ, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't value people according to their nationality or their race or their economic status. All of those things are according to the flesh. We value people according to the Spirit. What does the Spirit see? The Spirit sees the image of God. The Spirit sees that all humanity is valuable and created in God's likeness. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, meaning we didn't see who he was. We regarded him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How did Peter describe it? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, which has now changed our identity Paul's now doing the same thing. The old has passed away, the new has come. Verse 18, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So this is now who we are and what God has done. Therefore, what is our identity He says in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the new creation, we have a new identity. And that identity is we move into the world as ambassadors. Now, how does an ambassador move out into the world? Do they defend themselves? 
Are they focused on their opinions? Do they build their life? Because when you build your life on your, on, on your own opinions, what you're going to find you're, is you're going to be against a lot of people. Notice the language that Paul describes. Is he describing language of creating for and against? Did Jesus come and was he against? No, he became. Now, he was against the brokenness of the world, but he loved us, didn't he? We are saved through enemy love. And we move out into the world to bring that same enemy love to those that in the flesh we would have hated. Because of nationality, because of socioeconomic, because of political, because of national identities, we would have hated in the flesh, but in the spirit, we move out into the world the way that Jesus did. What, who is Jesus? He's the ultimate exile. I mean, think of what an exile is. An exile is no longer living in their home. They go to a foreign country and they live in that country and they live for the benefit. As Jeremiah says, you live for the benefit of the city. Jeremiah was speaking to those who were in exile, the Jews, truly in exile, under the pain and punishment of persecution. And yet he said, seek the benefit of the city, the city that's persecuting, the city that hates you, the city that's against you. Live for the benefit of the city. Why? Because see, that, that shows us who Jesus is. The one who left the right hand of God the Father, entered into enemy-occupied territory, and didn't tear things down simply with violence or tanks, but with grace and self-sacrifice. And so an ambassador represents not his message, but the nation's message. Not his methods, but the nation's methods. Not his motivations, but the nation's motivations. When you move out to the world, do you see yourself as a part of the corporate body of Christ or simply an individual speaking up for himself or for herself? You are no longer your own. You are a new creation in Christ. As we engage, you have a personal, and, and this is different, you have a personal relationship with God because there is a corporate relationship with God. God came to save us, not just me. That's important. We respond to Christ, but we have a covenantal relationship with God that's connecting us to each one of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, despite nationality or background. We are together in Christ, and we are an ambassador. And Paul says that's how we move out into the world. So how does it go wrong? I want you to, to see this. Jump over to James chapter 4. See, when we forget who we are and we allow simply our desires or our wants, our own personal expectations to drive things, this is how James describes it in chapter 4. He asks a great question. What causes division? What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? And notice the language. It's your passions. It's, it's, when he says passions, it's allegiances that are divided. You know, Jesus said it this way, you cannot love God and money. You can only serve one master. If you serve two masters, James is going to say in the beginning of the book, you're like a, a boat at sea tossed by the wind. There's no stability. There's no anchoring. And so he describes us. What's, what's driving us? It's our passions. Verse 2, you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant and cannot obtain. And so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly, meaning with wrong motives, to spend it on your passions. And notice the language. This is Old Testament language. You adulterous 
people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever chooses or wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Therefore, Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What's friendship with the world? Friendship with the world is in some ways seeing this world as all there is. It's in some ways identifying my own identity and how I move out into the world, not with a kingdom, but with the world. Seeing myself not as God sees me, but rather as I see myself and my desires are going to follow. Because see, you've been given new birth into a new, a new identity that leads to a new lifestyle. And, and here's what he's describing. You know that word adulterous? We don't like that word. It's not a fun word. But unfortunately, it's a word that was often applied to the exiles in the Old Testament. You may not know, but the theme of exile is a common biblical theme throughout the, old, old, the whole Old Testament. If you think of Adam and Eve, they were the first exiles. The garden was their home. They walked with God. They felt right with each other, with God, with creation. Sin comes in. They are exiled into a land that is not their own. And what happened? They became too comfortable. God didn't really say. They put their own interests ahead of God's commands. They didn't know who they are, and it led to a different lifestyle. What happens? Abraham. What is God's first statement to Abraham? I'm going to make you an exile. I'm going to take you out of the land that you know, and I'm going to send you to a people you do not know. Why? So you stand apart. And I want you to seek the benefit of that nation. And then when we meet the nation of Israel, where are they? They're in exile in Egypt. And what happened? Egypt got a hold of them. And so they left Egypt, and now they're in the promised land, or they're, they're in the wilderness. And what do they keep saying? Hey, wasn't it better in Egypt? Remember the gods of Egypt? Those, those gods were great. They identified so much with the place they lived in, they forgot who they were. And so what happened? Well, they went to exile again. And yet a second time. And what does God say to them in exile? I want you to live for the benefit of the city. I want you to be a light unto a people who persecute you. I want you not simply to defend yourself, but to defend who you belong to, to be a reflection of me in the world. When Jesus comes, he uses the same language to say we are light, we are salt in the world. We live out the story of exile. And so how do we live in a world as exiles? Meaning this nation, we love this nation, and yet we are a part of the kingdom of God. We have more in common with a Chinese Christian than our neighbor next door that doesn't believe in Christ. How do we engage? So let's jump back into the text that we're in and look and discover the way that Peter describes how we engage. If you look at chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as those, here's our identity, sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, So that's describing those who do not believe, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do you live as exiles? You're going to be offensive, but you should be attractive. What was Jesus? 
He was offensive. He was attractive. What is the test for living in a a nation that is not our own according to the values of the kingdom? We will be persecuted. Jesus promised, as they persecuted me, so they will persecute you. But they should persecute us as the body of Christ. Meaning, we're moving out into the world as ambassadors. The message is Jesus. The methods, they're Jesus. The motivations, they're Jesus. Because as an ambassador, you're not standing for yourself. You're standing for the nation you represent. And so he's saying, here's the test. Here's how we live into the world. We will be rejected. We will be persecuted. But our life should be attractive. First of all, you're going to be persecuted. As we already discovered that. Jesus said that. And when you think of the teachings of the New Testament, what were some of the things that offended people? Now, they don't offend people today, but in the past, they really did forgiveness. Our world, the secular world, loves forgiveness, but not the first century world. They thought, this makes no sense. A God that simply forgives you by grace, you don't earn it. In an honor and shame culture, that, that was offensive. Christians were seen as weak, as feeble, as foolish. Today, people love it. Why? Because every culture is offended by Jesus at different points. You know what was also offended? Offense, actually very attractive to many people in the first century and still attractive today, is that the Christians didn't simply care for their poor. They cared for everybody's poor. It wasn't nationality or a race that bonded them together. No, when they saw a need, they met the need. And in the history of the church, that's what made the church visible to the world, is that they sacrificed for those who were not their own. And then those who, who were part of those groups said, why are you caring for our people? These are our people. What does the world do? You protect your own. Whether it's politically or nationally or race, you protect your own. Christians don't. Christians don't. Why? Because that's what our God did. He didn't protect his own. He came to those who were not his own. And he made them his own through self-sacrifice and service. They were offended. Today, people are offended by the Christian concept of sexuality. That sex is reserved for a covenant relationship. Sex is not a commodity. It's not an exchange of goods and services. It's an expression of the depth of a relationship that ultimately points to the relationship God has with us. We will carry that message out into the world and it will offend. And if we simply ignore that message, we're not walking with Christ. But if we, on the other hand, do not do it with gentleness, what does Peter say? Give a reason for the hope you have. We love doing that. But he says with gentleness, respect, and then he says with keeping a clear conscience. Meaning if you're engaging in the world and your conscience is constantly being, it should at times, being injured, he's saying there's something going on. We have to engage in the world the way that Jesus did. You know who hated Jesus? It was the people in power. You know who loved Jesus? It was the immorally broken, the poor, the weak, the sexually broken, the outcasts. It seems so often the church wants to align itself with power, but not with the broken. Jesus aligned himself with the broken. He was crucified by those who were in power. And we have to ask ourselves, are we representing God's kingdom as we move out into the world? The methods, the ways, we will be persecuted, but there should be something beautiful about our lives. 
something that reveals the character of God in us. And so how can we live in this tension? I want to end with just two things. If we jump back again to chapter 2, verse 9, is it, gosh, my mic is falling off. Sorry about that. You guys don't have a problem with it. Watch this, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I just want to touch on two of these identity markers. How do you walk out into the world with both attraction and yet offense? You have to have courage. Courage is not arrogance. Courage doesn't lead us to be a jerk. Courage is always in the New Testament aligned with humility. So watch this. You are a chosen people. What does that mean? It doesn't mean your choice. USDA. This isn't grade A people here. You're chosen. How do we describe that? See, someone could come to you and say, hey, I love you because you're rich. That's choice. I love you because you're attractive. That's choice. I love you because you're you. That's chosen. God loved us because he loved us. In our brokenness, in our sin, in our darkness, God set his eyes on us and he loved us and he sacrificed for those who were wrong, who are on the wrong side of all things. And he gave himself for us because we were chosen. He loved us because he loved us. What would it look like to love the world because we just simply love the world? To love people not because of what they belong to or what they believe, but simply because of who they are. They are created in the image of God. What Christianity, what the Old Testament, New Testament gave the world is a dignity for mankind that never existed. You were chosen. And notice you're also a treasured possession. What do you give the person who has everything? You see this first, I think it's in Exodus uh, chapter 19, where God says, even though I own the whole world, you are my treasured possession. What do you give the person that has everything? Well, God desired us. He loved us. He gave himself for us. That should give you courage to move out into a world that doesn't love us, that doesn't like us, that doesn't agree with us. But we move out into the world, not with that kind of anxiety that's like, okay, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to fight. No, we move out into the world confident because we're full and we don't need the word, world to constantly fill us back up. We're filled because of our identity. And then second, not only do we need courage, but finally we need humility. And when you go back to chapter one, you have this little phrase it says in chapter 1, verse 2, God chose us. How did he chose us? According to his foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. We talked about that last week. It's called the new birth. For obedience to Jesus Christ, a new lifestyle, and for sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. God loved us because he loved us, and yet he had to clean us. It says later on in, in chapter 1, you've been... Born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It talks Peter constantly. You'll notice this. It's not once, it's not twice. It's like three, four times throughout the book of 1 Peter. He constantly reminds you of what Christ has done. Why? Because we were so sinful, it required the sacrifice of God to come for us. We were saved, and here's the word, through enemy love. That's our identity. 
it should lead to courage because God loved us so much. He was willing to send his son. It should lead to humility. I know there is deep brokenness in me. And even though I am born again, I'm still growing. And I've got to walk out into the world with humility, knowing that I don't have it all together. And yet courage, I am loved and accepted by God. That's what you see in the New Testament in Jesus. He was strong when he needed to be strong, often with those who are in power. But to the broken, to those who are outcasts, he tended to walk in humility. And then he would speak truth. He would speak power. Why? Because Jesus is the true exile. How do we know the Father? We know the Father because Jesus left his home. He left the right hand of God the Father. He became sin for us. He entered into a country that was not his own. He lived among a people who had different customs, different ways. He rescued us to himself so that he might send us out into the world to the praise of his glorious grace. This is our new identity in Christ. You've been born again. You have a new power. You have a new identity. And it should take us and lead us to a new lifestyle. And realize if the gospel isn't anchored in any decade, any culture, any nation, when we engage in our nation, there should be a little bit of conflict in us. Because on the one hand, we engage for those things that are right. And yet on the other hand, we say, you know what? The way we're doing this isn't right. What we value is good. And yet how we value it and how we value others, we should always as Christians in a nation recognize we're living for the kingdom to come that has already come because Christ has come. And he has brought us here to reveal the values of who God is. Do you see that picture? And if we're not thinking as we engage with the world, And if we just simply feel comfortable in this world, engaging and not reflecting on who God is, there may be something like Egypt in us or Babylon. We're living through the flesh and not of the spirit. But instead, if we allow his word to be our identity, we'll find these places of tension and struggle and seek to lead out into the world that is both attractive and yet it reveals the true nature of the gospel and of God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I just confess to you, there's certainly in my own heart, there are times of just great frustration and confusion. Certainly in these, this season, I, I sense that in myself. I sense my own frustration and anger, sometimes at the church, sometimes at the ways that we engage, and also in myself, at my own anger towards others. That doesn't come from you. That's of the flesh. That's of a false identity. You are the judge. We don't live as eye for eye or tooth for tooth. No, Father, you have forgiven us and accepted us and adopted us through grace in Jesus Christ. And that grace is extravagant. It is lavish. And because of your love, Father, you've given us a new identity. Awaken us, Father, through the Spirit to the truth of who we are. And may we engage in the world in a way that causes others to say there is something different. There's something different about how they lead with truth. There's something different about how they move out into the world, not in hatred towards others or us against them building, building identity on opinions. But instead, Father, may we build our identity on your word. And Lord, would you lead us to that place where we work for the benefit of the city, the benefit of our community, even when the community we live in doesn't get us, doesn't like us, or doesn't agree with us. May we reflect the character of Christ. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.
You guys can remain seated. We're going to have Vivian uh, share one of her songs she's written. We're, are we so blessed to have Vivian give a little, you know what I mean? She writes, she's an amazing songwriter, and I just wanted her to share. I wanted you guys just to receive the special song she wrote. We have some exciting things to come. We got a studio that we're going to start recording some of these songs. And your songs. And, and um, some of my songs, but we can't wait to share them with you guys. Um, so what's the title of this one? This is a Scottish Blessing. I've just been calling it the Scottish Blessing song because uh, the lyrics were inspired by an old Scottish Blessing. Um, some of it probably familiar to you because you've heard it through your life. Um, but it's just a really nice nice way to end service. a nice, nice thought that the blessings of God go with you. And may the 